Our first scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verses 7 through 13. Hear now the word of the Lord. Therefore Jesus said, uh, said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons them and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Our second scripture reading this morning comes from the book of James, chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. Hear now the word of the Lord. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You're envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulterers, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that Scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the Spirit which He has made to dwell in us. But He gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. So I'm going to give you all a glimpse behind the curtain of what it looks like to be a preacher, because it's kind of a weird thing when you think about it. I mean, every week I get up here and talk for 20 minutes-ish, and you guys sit out there, I don't know which is better and which is worse uh, side to be on it, but it's a weird thing. There's not really any other place in our culture where this happens, at least not anymore. Nowadays, you know, we can, we can pull up podcasts, we can turn on the TV and, and watch news shows, and, uh, and we can do all of these things and have all of these ways of learning and hearing from other people, but it's rare that we sit and just listen to someone for a, an extended period. It's a weird kind of thing. And yet we do this every week, and so part of the burden that comes on a preacher who does this every week, is that you have to be thinking about what you're going to talk about at every moment. And so for me, as I was planning about six months ago what I was going to talk about this October, I was trying to figure out, you know, how do I approach this in a way that's relevant and meaningful for people? How do I follow up a six-week sermon series with something else? And as that struggle comes up, it comes up often, one of the things that I remember is, well, there's this temptation for novelty and for something new, but the truth is we have something, we have a message that's been relevant for the past 2,000 years, so maybe new isn't what we should be looking for. Maybe novel doesn't mean a whole lot when you're talking about truth. 
But there's also this other side of the balance that is, you guys have lives. We go about our day-to-day lives meeting people, talking to family and friends, dealing with the stresses of work, and living in society at large. So there is this other immediate side to things. I, I got to figure out how to balance the eternal truth with the immediate realities of things. So when I was looking at this and trying to decide, okay, what does a pastor talk about in October? The immediate thing that comes to mind is, well, in October we have Halloween, and that's an interesting thing. But I didn't know that I necessarily wanted to just talk about that. So I kind of set it aside for a little while. But then I was talking to some other Methodist pastors, and we were talking about our baptismal vows. Uh, Invigorating conversation topic, I know. But one of the things that we say at baptism, and we say it at membership uh, vows too, is that we vow to resist the spiritual forces of wickedness. Now, if we're thinking about Halloween, spiritual forces of wickedness sound kind of creepy, I think. So maybe I could talk about that. And then I just decided, you know what, let's spend some time talking about this eternal truth that we have, which is that there is a battle between good and evil that happens in our world and in our lives every day, forever. You know, I'm somebody... This is something you need to know about me. I'm somebody who loves Halloween. I do. I've always kind of enjoyed it. My family was one of those that decorated for Halloween when I was a kid. Um, It just, it it was entertaining to me. And here's something else, is that I also, I love the scary side of it too. I love scary movies. Now I know you might be thinking, oh, he likes punk rock music, he likes scary movies, what have we gotten ourselves into with this one? But I do. It's something that... uh, When I was about 10 years old, my mom decided it was time for me to learn what was what, and she sat me down to watch uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, And if you want to talk about a good way to keep a 10-year-old awake at night, uh, that is a, a really good option. But as you watch scary movies, as you see these monsters and villains and and things, what you come to realize is that every good scary movie has an element in it, has a central factor that's actually just a reflection of something that's real and true. You look at Nightmare on Elm Street, and you know there's not actually somebody running around with knives for fingers in your dreams at night. But you also do know that when you lay down, it seems like those moments before sleep finally comes are the ones where some of the worst fears and dreads of life come back. The mistakes that you make in a day, the things that you're worried about for tomorrow, they seem to live most fully in that moment just before sleep. Or you watch these other scary movies where the villain seems to be like a force of nature who's unstoppable. And we know that that's not really the case, but we also know that there are forces of nature, things that exist beyond our control that can cause real harm in our lives things that we can try our best to prevent that happen anyway. Behind every good, scary movie, there is a fact of reality. 
And friends, you don't have to look far to realize that evil is real and present in our world. If you look back at history, you look at the early 20th century and you see things like the Holocaust or the massacres that happened throughout Europe and Russia and Asia, and you can know that evil is real. You read about the genocide in Rwanda and you can know that evil is real. You can hear about slavery, not just historically, not just people who used to buy and sell other people, but you can look at human trafficking today, at people who devalue others and sell them like things, and you can know that evil is real. You can turn on the news and hear stories of murder and violence, of people profiting off of addiction, of children taken from what should be a safe place, and you can know that there is evil in our world. You don't have to look far to see it. But before we can talk about this large-scale kind of evil, we have to talk about something a little bit more personal. Because a terrible truth to each of these things is that behind every horrific act, behind everything that happens that we can call evil in our world, there's a person or a few people who make a decision. People are at the heart of all of this, and so we have to think about how evil, what we call these spiritual forces of wickedness, are at work in individual lives, and that includes ours. But here's the question that we have to wrestle with as Christians. We know that evil exists. We, like we said, we don't have to look very far to see it. But we also affirm, we affirm regularly that Jesus Christ is powerful enough to change and save anyone, period. The grace of Christ is big enough to overcome any wickedness. And that's that. No exceptions. So how can we recognize evil while also affirming the power of Jesus Christ? We have to ask this question. Can Jesus save murderers? Can the grace and the good news of Jesus Christ redeem people who sell other people? Or is there a point where these forces of wickedness become so great that even Christ can't overcome them? We look at that question and we watch these terrible things that happen and we know that we are fallen people. But the answer here is clear. Scripture says that we are not beyond redemption. That God, in His infinite grace, makes it possible for us, for anyone, to turn away from what they've been and follow him instead. Evil is not just bad people doing bad things. It's something deeper, something that's within them and within each of us that runs throughout all of the world. It's something that corrupts human nature and tempts us towards wickedness. 
It's what changes people for the worst and hardens our hearts against goodness and all things that point to God. It's what our scripture identifies as being the source of lust and envy, of anger and violence, of the things that drive us apart from one another and force us away from God. What we have, and you see this not just here but all throughout Scripture, is a conflict between good and evil, between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this fallen world. It's so strong, this battle, that it says, Scripture tells us that a friend of one is an enemy of the other. You can't be allied to both. It's all or nothing. See, God wants better things than these for us. And He wants better things than these from us as well. God wants us to pursue Him. But what we have to know in that truth is that what we think of as better for us isn't, or it shouldn't be, wealth or health or even this kind of worldly happiness. Because that's looking through the eyes of this fallen world. Rather, the things that are truly better for us, the only things that are best for you and me, are found in God. Better for us is not wealth. It's God alone. God wants you fully. He wants you to be humble and gracious, to be kind and generous. He wants you to rely on Him and to trust that when you do so, He will fulfill His promises. He wants you to live with integrity and righteousness. That's the word is righteousness in opposition to evil. He wants you to resist these spiritual forces of wickedness and evil. But when you look at Scripture, if you read through Paul's letters, what you find is that Paul loves to list things. And he especially loves to list the things that tempt us the most. And when you read those lists, I can guarantee you that you'll see some part of yourself in them. You know the things that you struggle with, that you've wrestled with throughout your life. We all know temptation. Even Christ, as he wandered in the desert, was tempted. It's hard. It's hard. We can want righteousness with our whole hearts, but then we see in Paul's writings, that we know what he says is true, that we can want righteousness fully, and yet still we do not do the things that we want to do. We don't pursue righteousness. How can we overcome this bent towards sinning, as our hymns of faith say? How can we overcome this desire to help ourselves at the expense of others? How can we overcome these forces? Well, friends, the truth is that we cannot. We are not strong enough to overcome these forces of evil and wickedness that are there. We can try with our whole selves, but we will not on our own strength 
emerge victorious. We are not able. But God is. We can't overcome these temptations, but Jesus can. Scripture tells us that when Jesus wandered in the desert, Satan came to him and said, hey, I know you're fasting, but wouldn't it be so easy just to make some food for yourself? Yet Jesus resisted, not just there, not just in that desert, but when he came back to the world, when he began his ministry, he resisted the devil, as it tells us, by going from place to place and casting out demons everywhere that he went. Jesus went into towns and found places where evil and wickedness was springing up. And he stood firm and in the name of God cast it out. And then, after that, he gives the apostles the commandment to go and do the same. When he builds the church, this is one of the things that he tells them to do, is to go and proclaim the good news, to heal the sick, and to cast out demons. He tells his church to go and resist the evil that's present in the world. And he gives us the power to do just that. We might not be strong enough on our own to resist evil. But through Christ, we can. Scripture tells us, resist the devil and he will flee from you. It doesn't say he might flee from you. It doesn't say temptation may subside. It says that if we submit to God, if we learn to rely on his strength and not our own, then that strength is enough that when we stand on it, There is nothing that can overcome. This comes from submission. It's what we've just finished talking about for the past six weeks. To submit to God, to do these things like reading Scripture, like praying fully, confessing to one another, because it's easier to stand firm when you're not trying to do it in secret. For us to share burdens, all of these are acts of submission to the God who made us to be in relationship with Him. And it's hard at first. It's like working out. It's hard. It's not fun at the beginning. But the more you do it, the easier it gets. And after a while, you might even find that it becomes something you enjoy. So let me read once more what James tells us to do. He says, Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Submit yourself to God. Remember that you stand on his strength and not your own. And know that before that strength, before that greater grace, nothing else can stand. Go with strength that comes from that. Resist the devil. Submit to God and you'll find that you in Christ can overcome these spiritual forces of wickedness. 
Thanks be to God who makes all of this possible. Amen.